Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday, which is um, the discussion of what level of real estate investing should you start at and or really master. Do you want to stay at one level? Do you want to continue to move up from one level to the next? And today we're going to take the step from working on single family houses to working on small apartment complexes and or groups of single family houses. I did my own bookkeeping um, all the way up until I owned giant businesses, to be honest with you. And then I had to hire a bookkeeper slash CFO, somebody to run everything. But that was much later. So you then have to, you've got your, your bookkeeping down, you've got your, your marketing, leasing, and sales, and screening down. Now you have to understand and set up your vendor program or your vendors. You need your plumbers, your electricians, your, your landscape guys, your maid, your make-ready people. And each one of those groups, once you pick them up, you've got them. Now, the next step is to own enough units in one location that you don't have to go out to that location. He said, that's oxymoronic. You would think if you had a bunch of properties, a bunch of units all together, you'd want to go out there. Well, that would seem like it, but it's really oxymoronic. And most, I would say almost everything in real estate investing is oxymoronic. It means that what you would normally think is true is absolutely not true. And if you do what you think is normal to do, you absolutely won't succeed. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's take leasing, for instance. You think that sales is something you've got to go pressure someone to buy your product. In leasing, it's exactly opposite. You've got people wanting to pressure you to let them buy your product, and you have to say no. That is so hard to do when you want to sell your product. So most people fail. They don't understand that. They get into this thing. Well, I know what sales is. I've, you know, I sell trinkets. I sell this. I sell expensive stuff in my company, but I sell people. No. In this situation, they're selling you and you're deciding. Say, well, what if it doesn't lease? Well, we'll lease. If it doesn't lease, there's one of two things wrong. Bad product, bad price. Those are the only two things that could be wrong. So if you've got a good product, or in my case, the best product in the neighborhood, and I have as good or better price than anybody else, mine's going to lease instantly. Now, this is a war we get into when you get into multifamily. A lot of apartment owners, I ask them, why do you have so much vacancy? And it's, well, people aren't leasing. No, people aren't marketing. They're not selling. Uh, your price-product ratio is wrong. And if you're saying, well, my salespeople are no good, no, your price-product ratio is wrong. If your price-product ratio is good, then your product's going to sell. You just put it on the Internet, and it will sell. Problem is, your price-product ratio is wrong. Wherever you got in your brain, your price-product ratio, what you feel like, what what you feel you have to provide to your customer, and what you want and or believe should be charged for your product are not up to you. 
They're up to the market. Now, let's step away from that. Let's get into this multifamily thing. And the first time I found this out was I had 10 little units, five duplexes in a row. And what I did was I said, I went to one of the managers. I went, I'm sorry, I went to one of the tenants and I called her kind of a mama Sita, and that's not a slur of any kind. It was a, she was like, she was Hispanic, but she was kind of like the mothering kind of person of this whole place. So I called her the mama Sita of this, these 10 units. And I went to her and I said, you know what? I'll make you a deal. Um, I don't want to hire you to be a full-time employee or whatever, but I'll make you a deal. If you will be my eyes, my ears, and my arms, and my legs, right? Eyes, ears, arms, and legs. Then I will give you a discounted rent. Um, whatever I might do, I might reduce her rent. I might reduce it to zero. I might pay her utilities. Depends on how much work you're going to want them to do. But the bottom line is with 10 units, it's almost no work at all. What do I mean by it's no work? Well, it's work for you to go out there and see if anything's going on. It's no work for her to come out. She's got kids. And that's almost every one of these people I've ever used in this capacity had kids. What does that mean? That means if you've got two or three or four kids, you cannot afford to go to work. Why, Dell? Because the daycare is more expensive than what you get paid. So these people are trapped at home. They can't do anything to benefit themselves financially. So if you give them an opportunity to reduce their rent or get rid of completely, if that's the value uh, necessary to do this, what happens is then they get to make money by just staying home. Well, meaning they don't really do much. In fact, they don't. They do the same thing they would do if they lived there. If they lived there, would they be worried about what was going on around that area? Of course they would. Now, the difference is you just give them the power to step in and, and be involved. What you don't do is make it a full-time job. You don't give them tasks to do that would make it a job. So what do you ever do? You ever do all the things you don't want to do. For instance... If you want to lease something, normally you put the sign out in the yard and you will get just inundated with calls. Now, if you feel necessary, you can take those calls. And by doing so, you know what is being said to that prospective tenant is correct. You you use your personal sales skills to be able to get them to set up an appointment to go over there and meet the lady on site. See, I've got this tenant over there. I'd be happy to show you the unit. So you don't call them a manager. You don't call them an employee because they're not really an employee. Just somebody's helping you out a little bit. And uh, you set them up. Say, okay, um, I can have you go over there and meet this lady uh, at 4 o'clock this afternoon. When would you like to go? And this is the beautiful thing about it. You go, when would you like to go? Because typically you would have to meet them when you can get over there. So now you're trying to set up a schedule between you and somebody else to get somewhere. If they're right around the corner from that place and you say, would you like to see it? And they go, yeah. I go, where are you at? And they say, well, I'm right around the corner. I said, fine. Let me call over there and have this lady just show you the place. And so they can let you in. Nowadays, you have electronic locks. And it's possible if you want to go ahead and just let them go over there and look open the door, unlock the door for them, let them go in and look. And when they, they're done and they leave, they call you and you lock the door back up electronically. Those types of things are available now. But this was just simple, just have them go over there. Uh, the lady would unlock the door and let them go in and look at the place 
right? Uh, the lady then got to see them, tell you what they looked like. Did they look, you know, come up in a broken down, scummy car? Did they just look like they were just high on drugs or whatever? You know, those telltale signs that tell you, hmm, this person's, you know, we better scream very carefully here. This person looks challenging. So um, that was one way you could help. Another one is the tenant called and said, okay, well, my air conditioner doesn't work. I say, okay, well, let me call the AC company. And then you have the AC company. Now, a lot of times tenants, you know, when you have a single family house, something breaks down and they don't understand, but they've got to make the arrangements for someone to go in there and let them in. You, they want you to go over there and let the AC guy in to fix it. Your answer is no, I'm not going to go into your, your premise. You're renting it. It's your domicile right now. Unless there's an emergency, I need to get inside of there. There's no, I can't take off from my job to go over there and, and, and take this. If you need an AC guy, you need to let them know when you can meet them. Well, when you have this arrangement with this on-site person, you simply have the AC guy meet the on-site person. The on-site person can let him in while they're doing the work, let him back out when they're done doing the work, and so on and so forth. So, again, you don't have to go over there. Another way is make ready time. Uh, the old tenant moves out. You need somebody to go over there and look to make sure they're out. Instead of driving over to make sure yourself, take that whole long drive, find out they're not. Take that whole long drive, find out they they snuck out on you in the middle of the night two weeks ago and you didn't even know. This on-site person is able to tell you those things without you going over there. So this was just the, this was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I didn't have to go on-site anymore. And... Eventually, this person got to be so valuable to me, and just it happened at a couple different locations where these people, they, they get to understand what they're doing. And so I got to the point where I would train them and eventually hire them as an employee and put them on for a small amount of money. Not a lot, a small amount of money, and or maybe a commission basis of, um, okay, if you lease this unit. Now, you got to be very careful about how you pay these people. If you pay them per lease, then they're going to run people off, right? Um, because why? Well, because then they have a unit to lease and they can make more commission. So you got to be very careful about that. What you need to do is pay them on units lease. Say, okay, for every unit that's leased here, I'll give you $10 a month for every unit or $50 a month for every unit. What are we going to pay them, right? And make that based on leased units. Uh, but leased units is also problematic, because then they'll just book somebody in there so the units are leased. They won't screen them or they won't care. Now, in my situation, I started out by not letting my manager screen the people. I said, give me your opinion. What do you think? Do you see anything that looks problematic right up front? And then I would have my on-site person take all their information. In other words, the, the prospect would fill out an application. I would then take the application. They would sign the way the rights for me to look up their credit information, their criminal information, their rental history background, and I would do all that myself. So I didn't. I knew the manager wasn't just sticking somebody in there, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, you know, the bottom line is there's lots of different ways to pay them, but you got to make sure that the way you pay them has the right incentives and doesn't give them the incentive to want to run people off. When you think about it, they have one incentive if you don't de-incentivize them in some way. If you don't, and they're just doing this as a part-time thing for you, 
they don't want bad people living there. They don't want bad people stealing from them or threatening their kids uh, or anything else for that matter. Right. So they have an incentive. They've got a built in incentive to want to have good tenants living there. The other thing it does is breeds what I believe is the best kind of business, and that is referral business. Once you have somebody living there that's lived there for a while, it will get around and they will tell all their family members, all their friends, uh, all the people where they work, if they work, or so on and so forth, that, hey, there's, we can get you in over here. There's a place over here available. And they will lease the place like you wouldn't believe. And they all become acquaintances of each other, so it's calmer. They, they, they're not enemies of each other, right? Um, all this has to be done within the guise of non-discrimination. You have to make sure there's, they're not being discriminatory. And I've seen that happen where they would say, like, I'm not going to lease to that guy because there's young kids here and he looks like a pedophile or something, you know, or there's young women here and he's a young guy and he might try to molest them or, or pick them up or what. You can't do that. You got you to gotta screen them and give them the fair right to live there. So you got to watch out for that. But other than that, you know, they really work well. I got it down to the point that it was almost like having a manager where somebody would move out I would call my my maintenance company say, hey, we got to move out. I'd call my make-ready company. The make-ready guy would arrange to meet with the on-site person to let him in. I didn't have to go over there. Everything was done. I did nothing. We'll take a short break, come back, and talk about signage and how to get the place leased. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. Right now, we're coming upon a great opportunity. It's that time in which you're going to find that the marketplace is changing and it is shifting to a buyer's market away from a seller's market. Number one, the brokers don't want you to know that. They're going to do everything they can do to keep you from believing the truth. Number two, the sellers don't want to believe it, although in the back of their minds, they know it. Now, that doesn't mean everybody will crater for you, but some people are going to be in those situations where they have to negotiate for deals and you've got to be there. Now, if you're not there, you won't get one. Join us for the free online workshop and we'll show you how to be in the right place at the right time in any market cycle. Register at LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com. LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com. That's LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about moving from single-family housing into small multifamily um, type housing. And when I say small multifamily, I'm talking about the fact that I didn't really buy a small apartment complex to start managing apartment complexes. I bought 
five duplexes right in a row, which was 10 units that I ran most like an apartment complex. But I was able to put together a lot of management practices that really worked well so that I didn't have to go out there. Everything became systematic. When someone would give notice going to move out, I'd have the on-site person go over and look at the unit, tell me what was wrong with it, tell me, hey, we're going to need to get a carpet cleaner in here, we're going to need to get a painter in here. Uh, by the way, their, their water heater's not working. Well, we need to get somebody out there to fix that or replace that. Uh, we're going to, you know, we already, in this particular case, since the five units were right together, we had the landscape guy mow all five units together, which was much cheaper and or much easier than expecting a, a tenant in a very, very low-end housing environment to be able to afford their own lawnmower and actually take the time to mow their yard and do it right. So we had one landscape company that did it all, made it, kept it looking good. So we, we didn't have to worry about that. So this on-site person would find all those things and tell me, and I would put the ad in the, in the paper and uh, the sign, she'd put the sign out in the yard. I eventually got to where I put the telephone number, her telephone number for the sign. And the reason I did that is it just took me out of the loop because it was a, it was a time saver for the, the prospect and the manager. And I didn't have to go out there to sign the lease. Basically, she had the lease. They would sign it uh, because electronics, you could scan it back and forth. And um, or now you have DocuSign where they can do sign right there on the, the computer. And instead of a computer, you could use a little pad. And so everything could be electronic. And it was just so easy, so much easier than driving. You know, like I had houses. I lived in South Houston and I had houses all the way up in Tomball, which is, you know, a good 50 miles away. And that was an hour there and an hour back and so on and so forth. But put a good tenant in and that you did that one or two times in four or five years. So it wasn't that bad, but it's still much easier not to have to go out there at all type of a deal. So this really, really, really was a wonderful thing. But then the next thing that happened was, is that I was able to get a maintenance man. And when you get a maintenance man, I had about 40 or 50 units at the time. Uh, I had them in various locations. I had those 10 units together that I owned some fourplexes together. Um, again, these are not apartment complexes. These are just, I owned uh, another 15 duplexes up in Tomball um, together. And so altogether, I had 40 or 50 units or whatever, and that was enough. Once you get up to 50 units, you have enough to be able to hire a full-time maintenance guy. But in this particular situation, the full-time maintenance guy had to get from place to place to place. And so once you have a full-time maintenance guy that's AC certified, the world's over. It's done. Because that person, a good maintenance guy that's AC certified, can fix anything that's in a house. I mean, anything other than replacing the electrical box, which takes uh, someone with a license to do. But other than that, anything else can be fixed by this dude. And uh, and it's most of the time a dude in this day and age. You can't really say that stuff. But, you know, in my day, you know, bear with me back then, maintenance man was a maintenance man. And um, so what I did was... When I found my first guy that could fix everything, and he just could not get around because his car was always breaking down, I said, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a van. I own the van. So I bought the van. I put insurance on the van. Uh, paid to have it run. I, I paid like $2,000 for the van. It was just a panel van. And now he had something to drive and keep all my tools in because air conditioning, pump, you need that for being able to pull the Freon out. And, you know, there's a couple other, you know, a sewer machine that you really couldn't expect the maintenance guy to buy himself. 
but they need. And so I would buy the, the larger machines, a couple hundred bucks each type of machine. And so the guy's driving around in a truck that's got maybe $2,000 of my equipment in it. That's at risk. The truck's at risk of being stolen. The tools are at risk of being stolen. You've got to hope that they'll keep the truck locked. Somebody doesn't break in. You know, if you're if you're really good at this stuff, you take out the windows and put in metal uh, if there's windows, or you buy one without windows. is even smarter. Um, you make sure there's locks that work on all the doors and everything. Um, you might even put in secondary locks. Uh, that you can, you know, it's a, it's, it's a panel van for work. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you slap on a, a additional lock on the outside of the doors to keep them from being able to be broken. All the much better. Whatever it is, the bottom line was now this guy would get the call. It wouldn't even, you know, it didn't have to go to me anymore. So my tenants, I would give him his pager number. So they would page him at all hours of the day and night, too, by the way, which is really Unbelievable, but that's the way maintenance guys work. They, and so he would take the call and go, "Okay, there's, there's the old saying, uh, does it bleed? You know, is it fire? Is it, you know, death? Is it, you know, there's a couple. I don't even remember all the rules anymore, but there was a set of rules that was in place that almost all management companies have that something needs to be done right this second. So if you've got a broken water line that's flooding your house, it's got to be this second. You've got a toilet that doesn't flush. Uh, that can wait till tomorrow morning. You know, <laughs> there's certain things that can just be put off. You don't have any hot water, that waits till tomorrow morning. You don't have any air conditioning, that waits till tomorrow morning. You know, but you got a broken water line in your house, I'm coming now type thing. Uh, you got sewage backing up out of the, the line, that's, I might be coming now. There's, there's, you know, you set those rules. And this guy had to make those decisions. What is the priority of the things on my plate? And, you know, I would give him a call in the morning and say, hi, how you doing? Great. Got your cup of coffee. Let's go over what are our priorities today. And he would list out the four or five things that he needed to get done or maybe 10 things. And I might tell him, look, you got too many things. You're not going to get all these done. Let me offload some of this stuff. I'll have this guy, this vendor do this. I'll have this vendor do that. You just go get these things right here, whatever. But, man, it changed my life. Now I wasn't taking calls. There was no tenant calls and there was no leasing calls. So I had one of these onsite people at the 30 units, which was the 15 duplexes. I had three fourplexes, which was 12 units. I had one person at that group of properties. And then I had the 10 units, which was the five duplexes. I had somebody at that one. That was when I could afford a maintenance guy. And uh, now I had what I would call quote unquote non professional managers. Uh, at each location, I had on-site eyes, ears, arms, and legs where I didn't have to go over there to see, to hear what was going on, or to go just to, hey, open the door for somebody or whatever. I had all that at each location, so I didn't have to go there, and then I had a maintenance guy. That's it. Once you realize that you can own 10, 15 rental, single-family rental houses and spend very little time of your own running those, operating those, but when you got up to, I got up to 100 that wasn't the case, but it really was when I got up to 40 or 50 that I realized that I could utilize economics of scale and start hiring people to do things for me that I didn't have to do for myself, which was be on site, which was take care of the maintenance and repair calls and so forth. And uh, I hadn't yet got to the point where I'd stopped doing the bookkeeping or being on top of all the bills and or handling all the vendors. And so what you really need to think about here now is what do we call these different job descriptions? 
And when we get up to being a small apartment, let's say 40, 50 unit apartment complex, now things take one step closer to reality of being an apartment business. And that is now the manager and the maintenance person work out of the same location, as opposed to my maintenance guy was working through three locations, had three different people that were on-site people. He eventually got to know them. They knew him and it was like they all worked as a team, but it reverses once you have an apartment complex. You have one manager and then you have one or two or three or four or five, six, eight, ten vendors that that manager uses and one maintenance guy on site if you can afford them. You can't really afford a full-time maintenance guy until you get up to about 40 or 50 units. I mean, probably 50 units is the, the cheapest you can afford one. Where I became very comfortable having a full-time maintenance guy was when I bought my first 64-unit apartment complex, and it made all the sense in the world. One guy on site that could do everything. One manager on site that could do everything, and my world changed. Never had to go out there. In fact, I wanted to go out there. And my manager would go, there's no need for you to come out here. There's, you know, uh, And I'd get out there, and what I'd see is the manager was leasing, and the maintenance guy was fixing something. And so I want to have a meeting. I thought, well, let's have a meeting <laughs> and organize and whatever. And they were like, oh, come on, man. I got three people sitting in the office that want to lease. And the maintenance guy's like, yeah, I got a toilet's overflowing. I'm over here fixing this. Or I've got an AC that's out. I got to get it for these people. And I started realizing, I'm getting in their way. They know what to do. They get the job done very infrequently. And if I did have a meeting, it would be Friday night after all the work was done, right before people would go home, you know, at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, whatever, we shut down time. And I brought food <laughs> and beer. And I said, hey, you know, let's relax for a second, sit here, and let's recap what's going on right now and see if there's anything. Let's, you know, here's my plan for this month. This is the stuff I want to get done. You know, let's. While we're going around here and doing our day-to-day stuff, let's any time we can, we go into a unit, let's change the AC filters, let's check the batteries on the smoke detector, and we'd set up systems to where we'd hit one building a month and go through when the pest control people came in and did the pest control, the maintenance guy would go in, check the AC filter, and check the battery and the smoke detector. And there may be, you know, let's say there's eight buildings in a 64-unit apartment complex. I mean, there's eight units in each building. You'd have the guy just get into eight units that, that week, and that was it. Now, the the, AC, or the pest control guy would come back and do another building the next week, and they would do that cycle, and what would happen is every eight weeks, your building would get pest controlled, and you'd have someone walking through your unit looking for problems. What kind of problems did they find? They'd find running water. It blows my mind. People wouldn't call in that their faucet ran or dripped. And dripping's bad enough, but literally sometimes running. Toilets running constantly with the flappers broken, the water. You just hear the, the water just running down the drain. Uh, by in, by putting instituting these types of practices, we were able to cut the water bill in half, literally in half. It went from like $125 a month down to like $60 a month. That would just blew my mind. And, you know, those are... 20-year-ago numbers, whatever they are today. It's just bizarre how much easier it is to own an apartment complex, small one, though it be. And I loved it. I really, really loved it. And tomorrow, when we get into this even further, I'm going to talk about how I bought three apartments right next to each other to get the next level of economic scale. So at this level of economic scale, what we now have is we have a manager and a maintenance person and I also carried a maid slash porter. And that was, I didn't want my maintenance guy running around picking up trash every day. So I had a person come in for minimum wage, 
that would pick up the trash every day, an hour a day to pick up the trash, and then an hour or two a day to do the maid service on the offices. Uh, and we had multiple properties, but on just, you know, the office and whatever vacant units needed to be cleaned before somebody would move in. And so we'd give a maid hours. And it was a part-time person, didn't, you know, whatever. And they just had hours. They'd come and do the work whenever they could and get it done. And, you know, they probably had a kid and a job and everything else. And they just something pick up some extra side cash. A lot of people are interested in doing that. Whew, this is where it all changed, guys. And uh, I made my first million dollars off that 64-unit apartment complex. Actually, no. I made my first million off houses. I'm sorry. I made a second or third million off that 64-unit. But it made me a million just by itself. It was an incredible deal. And um, it also, again, because I was teaching myself how to be a business person from single-family house one to my first group of single-family houses, I ran them as a group. Uh, and then as an apartment, I ran as a group, the bookkeeping changes. Let's say you have 20 houses. You actually have to keep track of the expenses at each one of those 20 houses. Once you have an apartment complex, you keep track of the apartment's expenses. You don't have to track those expenses back to each unit. Not necessary. Now, on property management softwares where things are the responsibility of the tenant because the tenant broke something, that tracks back to the tenant's responsibility, but it's still just kept as accounting as expenses at, for totality for the apartment complex. So it, it really, really becomes easy to operate these things once you have the software programs in place necessary. You have the maintenance guy in place and the manager in place. And my friends, that's how I got started and why I love independent real estate owner status. Have a great day. And remember, it's not the money. It's that lifestyle. So don't go ruin it. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.